0: Welcome to the Saint Disruption Podcast, where brilliant musicians, poets, and visionaries come together to share their creative collaborations and explore what it means to be human in these times.
1: I am Gina Cornejo, and this is Saint Disruption Podcast. I'm so grateful to have been here to hold up a
0: mirror to myself and hopefully to you. Well, Gina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Wonderful. Hi. <laughs> Good to be with you, sister.
1: Good to be with you, too. Um, lately, I feel like I, I have um, started to uh, proudly claim myself as a multi- multidisciplinary artist. Currently here, living in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I am a writer, an autobiographical writer and storyteller, a solo performance artist. And I also sing. I dance. Um, I keep very busy in um, my submissions <laughs> for poetry and writing and all of the all of the fingers that I have um, and all of the different pies everywhere. So yeah.
0: Well, I know we're gonna have a great conversation today. <laughs> and it's really great to have a uh, another sort of polymath here in our midst. And I'm really interested to hear, Gina, um, in a in a world that's so consumed with hyper specialization, you know, what's it what's it like walking with such a, a varied toolbox as an artist?
1: Yeah, I I've loved this conversation with you and with other friends of mine that feel this pressure to narrow in, to focus in to one discipline like they have to choose. I totally understand the pressure of having to focus in and thinking like, I can't possibly do all of this. And I don't think I can possibly do all of this alone. I think for me, it came around during the pandemic that I really recognize within the art that I create and how I like to create is actually in a collaborative setting. I like hearing other voices in my head while I'm creating and then I also need to go and be by myself and really process what it means to me and what it might look like for me to do it by myself and have just my voice be the center of attention. It's also very easy for me to think, "Wow, I shouldn't. I shouldn't dabble in all these <laughs> mediums like I don't I still don't know film too well or editing the tech, the technical side of editing, but all of it interests me. And I think I would just be doing myself a disservice. If I said, I'm just, just, just going to write, or just, just, just going to write poetry or just my autobiographical stories and like stick to that. Because how I create and how I write and express is in all of these other realms. I hear music, and I'm like, who could do this then with me? Um, Or I hear different landscapes of sound, or I see props, or I see a venue that would fit what I'm creating. So yeah, I think it would be a disservice to just empty out all my tools and just put one item in there and close the box and be like, this is it. Um, I don't think I would feel fully myself in that, in that art form.
0: I got you. So you're working on a new piece. Yes. And you've got this toolbox, this grab bag of all kinds of stuff. you got a pantry stocked <laughs> full with different ways to express your truth, whatever, whatever you need to express. How do you make the choices? What is your process for getting to this needs dance? This needs a theatrical touch? This needs music?
1: Mm. I think I come from my words first. Anytime during the day, I'm like writing a story. I'm looking around, I'm observing, I'm feeling what it, what the air feels like. I'm noticing the sounds. I'm noticing what the sounds do to me in that moment. And to feel into the potency of words first for me, I think is where I love to begin, I think other things speak to me later, or when I start to write, or I write and then I let it breathe for a couple months and come back to it. I see what could be different possibilities for these certain pieces. It's like in my mind, I have like 12 stoves, and there's a pot on each burner. And so I'm I'm in constant, like, <laughs> do I need to turn that one up as, like, the time for that one now? I may think it should be now. And there's, a you know, uh, there's something that leads me to what that's tasting like now that I'm like, it's right now. So, okay, I got to either turn up the heat or, like, take it off and, like, stir it and address it and give it all the focus while it's like all the other things are still bubbling away.
0: And sometimes that stirring might be a spoon, might be a whisk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah
1: definitely. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's really interesting when I write something, I'm like, damn, I love that just on the page. And then I go to edit it. So if someone else were to read it on the page, they read it how I want them to read it. So I love manipulating how I edit my work I think when I first sent you some of my pieces I said you might kind of see the flow of it by how I spaced it out like que lastima is one of those pieces where it's like well and then I pause here for five, six counts or maybe it's just like a hearty Inhale, exhale. And then I read the room and then I go for it, like in a performance, performative way. Que lastima. What a shame. Todos repitan, por favor. Que lastima. What a shame. What a shame Shame. Que lastima lastima. What a shame shame. It is If for that that Que lastima piece if that were a poem to be published it's like oh okay I, I want not only do I want it but I need it to be 12 spaces and then I need that line but I need that line indented so there's even more of a Hit so that I think is where, like, part of this dance or theatricality can come in as well. That kind of bleeds in. That I'm like, Well, it's on the page, mm-hmm. and for me, with my theater background, I'm like, Well, words on a page then are spoken.
0: <laughs> so it's all about guiding how people receive the medicine yeah. and the words, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we've known since the beginning of time first there was the word. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, yes. It's like a little eyedropper. I was one time in uh, one of my times in my adult life in Peru, I actually got some sort of (laughs) pigeon mite just by being there. And I was having these little red dots all over. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. I went to my aunt, my tia Milagro. And I was like, I don't really know what's happening. And um, we went to the curandera. And what they had to give me was a certain um, medicine, a very certain eyedropper of medicine for what I had. And they had to treat it, treat it in this like concoction. I was like, great. And I remember standing there, and my friend actually as well from the States was visiting me and my family in Peru, and she was traveling in Patagonia as well. So it worked out. So my friend and I who are both performers in college together and solo performers, so she's a writer as well. So we're always in this world of looking at stories and looking for stories. We're in this um office, uh, doctor's office, and there's this little bit of water and my aunt has to count out like I don't know what it is, like one hundred and twenty droplets of this thing. And so we're just standing there and my aunt starts the concoction and she just starts uno dos and my friend and I are like, This is a like what all we saw was like performance. We're like, this for two hours, people would pay top notch and let's get this rolling that she and I were just like, This is incredible. Like so even in that state of these these stories and these moments, I see words and then I see performance and I see how things can integrate. So it's really fun.
0: Well, it seems to me that you're among the lucky few um, who experienced the pandemic in in a way that was creatively stimulating. And I think a lot about the piece that we had the privilege to perform back in February together, Atmosphere. And it wasn't only a a poem and some music to accompany it, but you created a a movement-based short film that is absolutely captivating, sort of a uh such a clear example of your broad broad palette mm. um you know one of the things that um impressed me so deeply about atmosphere is that it's about generosity and mm. that feels to me like a through line in all of your work that i've experienced and that that's a really beautiful thing i um. I think I mentioned to you I'm the father of a ballet dancer. Yes. And um, (laughs) I got to watch a a class with my daughter at the New York City Ballet with a a renowned uh, teacher, and she spent the whole day talking to her students about generosity. Oh, wow. And I watched these very gifted young students move in the same way with the same mechanics, with the same um, you know, years of training behind the gesture, mm. expressed in a completely different way. Yes, and, yes. And the peace atmosphere is so much about generosity and the yearning in your heart that came from not being able to share, not being mm. able to open your house to those moments of juicy connection that really remind us of our, of our humanity. Mm-hmm. Is that always, is that sense of generosity always been part of your, your walk as an artist mm. Are you even aware of it? I mean, it's pretty special. I'm um, so, I love,
1: I think that's also just a bigger reason of why I like to perform, why I like to say these poems and these spoken word or my stories out loud for what hits for other people, how it's interpreted, because I know I have my blind spots as well of I'm writing this piece and I think I, I think I know what it's about. We always think we know what it's about, right? And we're like, yes, and this is, this is the topic of this. And then you speak it out loud is one thing for me to hear my own voice back. And then you speak it out loud to one person, five people, and then to an audience. And it just, I love how in community our art, can't help but shift and take on I love that vision of the dancers and the intentionality behind the movement. I think it's something as well that helps inform me of how to perform this piece next time. Because of course it should be different. It's that, that um that quote about travel of like if you if you like I don't I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin it. But it's like, if you when you go away, and you come back, it's like you, you better be changed, you better be altered. If not, maybe you didn't even really go. And so I, I, I feel like that with my writing. um, And I feel like that as well, like you said, with the dancers, the intentionality behind my writing, um, that sometimes I don't even know, needs to shift or is taking that light. And then hearing something like that from you, especially about that certain peace atmosphere, for me, it didn't even feel like generosity. Actually, for where I was coming from, it almost felt like this like selfish gathering. Like, So I love that it reads as I'm a generous person, and I am, I will say that about myself. But also, I think in that moment of creation, I was like, I just want, I want everyone in, in my at that time your your pod your apartment your bubble that like i knew i couldn't have it so i i created it inside this warm center of what then comes across as generosity if i could have had that large table of people gathering that's exactly what I would have wanted, and more kind of coming from that intentionality of like selfishness of of longing, mm. of ache of pain, and so I think with a lot of my work, I think there's like in the behind the scenes behind the behind the curtain is like a lot of ache and pain and longing, and then what comes from it is like, well, what's the remedy? It's an invitation, it's a setting of the table it's a Whomever can hear my voice, come come on over.
0: So you made medicine for yourself, it sounds yes. like, which is yes. a great thing. Yes. When you collaborate like you do, I mean you can't work across so many different disciplines without being a good collaborator. And you know, at the core of generosity is courage because you mm-hmm. are giving up your precious spark, the poem, mm-hmm. the melody. And putting it on the thrashing floor for others to interpret, digest, and express. And that takes a lot of trust, doesn't it?
1: Hmm. Yeah. And it's also so curious. I love to try to let go as well. Let it be morphed. With the collaboration I did with For Atmosphere with um, Stuart Owen Dance, who is... Gavin Stewart and Vanessa Owen, two Western North Carolina-based dancers and choreographers, a husband and wife duo as well. Like talk about beautiful, seamless collaboration for them as artists together and dancers, collaborators together, and a husband and wife duo navigating their personal life together. I got a chance to really learn a lot of how to very kindly work in this environment. I always come back to that line, it kind of seems a bit bit cliche of Erica Badu on that live record when she's like, keep in mind that I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Like (laughs) that's always kind of running in my head too, of like, if I have that generosity toward you and knowing what you're about to bring to the table to help enhance my art and you to me and me to you, And we both have that knowledge of, like, there's a lot built into our identity as creatives um, that is very vulnerable and tender. So I love coming to the table of, like, these tender hearts excited to mix in and do something new that can only help enhance each other.
0: It's beautiful. I'm, I'm a way up. <laughs> and we'll make sure that there's a, a link to the, the video because I know our viewers will absolutely love this. There's an element of surprise in that performance for me. Mm. And the element of surprise is amidst the, dare I say, feminine, welcoming, embracing nature of the poem. Their movement is fast and sharp. Yes. And it speaks to the tension of isolation in a way that, I've not been able to, to figure out how to do in words without being too overt. That to Mm. me was Mm. an artistic triumph Mm. because it was their bodies, their kinesthetic, their felt sense of what it was like. You could feel the beauty, the togetherness and the tension of like, oh my God, I've been locked up in my apartment with my partner for what, eight months now. Yeah. So that was that was a triumph. I, I'd be proud of that if I were.
1: Oh, I love that you, I love that you noticed that they are, they're incredible collaborators together. And at that time too, they were looking for they were looking for other ways. They're incredible storytellers with dance and how they manifest their choreography. And having seen a couple of their other smaller just films that they had done themselves, as they looked for collaborators with writers I'm like hey I've got some options and um, Atmosphere was one of them and to see them work in that setting was amazing and beautiful and intense and so welcoming of new ideas and concept creations of what I was feeling in certain lines of text like we went through my text of Atmosphere prior to and with our videographer Michael Jamar Jean-Francois and they got to ask like where are you coming from with this sentence or like where do you need it to lead to get us to the next beat or movement of it and i'm so grateful that they as dancers can see my movement and dance background in the way that i speak because i know what i'm doing (laughs) when i'm saying something out loud it's something like I know I know that intentionality of a of a hand out with generosity but how I need it to land is actually with some weight. So how do I do that with words and then for them they're like, "Ooh, how do we get in there to do that with our bodies and position it so it can help amplify and punctuate." So, yeah, it depends on the collaborators too. It's exciting. They, it's so exciting. It's so exciting to to know that what we do with all of our tools really can just make something so fresh and so new that when I wrote that, I mean, I actually wrote that when I was very much still in quarantine time. Like I was by myself. That was that started as a journal entry. And the the first sentence of it is still the first sentence of it, actually, of I haven't set a table this year. And I just had coffee coffee I was drinking coffee I was looking out my window and I remember at the end of the journal entry I just like sat there like this is still devastating for me and the next day I edited it and then that's atmosphere so it was I think over the pandemic my voice got sharper got more clear too I haven't set a table this year I haven't laid out a spread cutting board with various cheeses awaiting the cut from sleek sterling curvy knives Candied hickory smoked pecans, wet Spanish olives no for guests for company for a coven for community for a birthday. For a Tuesday meal, for a Saturday game night, for a send-off, for a wake, for a wedding, for a romance, for just the chance to savor a whisper of intimate
0: atmosphere. All those small moments, the empty table, when people see truthful works of artistic expression there's healing in the place of oh I'm not alone in this yeah and I'm really curious you know someone with your you know vast and varied experience you know a place that I think we have a lot of commonalities understanding that that there is medicine there is healing in this work and there also is this frustration of of art and performance and music strangely weak and wobbly foundation right now in our culture. You know, how how do people navigate their lives? Mm-hmm. You know, if you look, you know, 100 years ago, if you look to the 1960s, if you look 400 years ago, music performance had a very different and much more precious and rarefied place in people's lives. Mm-hmm. What's your sense of how do we... What do we do as a community of artists to like restore that important, nurturing, nutritive place of the arts and helping people navigate their lives and not feel alone, for instance?:
1: Oh, what a great what a great world that would be. <laughs> because so often, I just feel alone in my work when I'm writing. Part of me wonders if I do join a writing collective and i get together with people how would that shift and change my work and of course it would because we just can't help but be influenced by each other and excitable in the communal space and i think it's just choosing where you feel most comfortable in a in a place that feels fertile to you and to grow from it i do believe collaboration is is the key is this I can't remember who said it, and I, I, I love that the only person I remembered who said a quote was Erica Badu, but that's key. That's okay. But <laughs> um, but there's this this artist in this book that I've read these about like 33 different artists, and there's this artist that said like, as artists, we're the ones who get out on the the limb of the branch and actually actively cut the branch. And I'm like, what a beautiful imagery of like, we're the ones to climb our own tree. We're going to get out on this branch. We know it's unsafe to begin with. And yet we came up there with <laughs> with some other tool to cut ourselves down to see what it could be like, at least in my interpretation of that's what I feel like I'm doing every day I'm just out on this limb whether I'm by myself or in a communal group of like how is this free fall gonna feel and obviously it lands better when you do have people around you I think just reaching out to your local to your local venues whether they're in your medium or not Um, I've reached out to a lot of local art galleries um, bookstores of course theaters different smaller venues that might have like an open mic here and there like can i use your space as a theater do you want my art as an installation it's just that constant marketing i guess for lack of a better term like it's it feels more sacred than Mm -hmm. marketing especially for what i want to connect with them on
0: i love the image of (laughs) sitting sit you know cutting the branch that you're sitting on um there's a lot a lot to unpack there, I mean, you know, I think about Chuan Zhu. you know, leap into the boundless and make make it your home. You know, Woo! it's about trust, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And at the end of the day, do you trust the universe enough that when you cut that branch, there's going to be a, a place to land? And hopefully the place that you land is going to be a richer land than when you were stuck up on that branch. Yeah.
1: yeah. And do you trust yourself? Do you trust your own voice in your own works of art and creations and collaborations, and do you trust your community? I guess too mm. do you trust your you know maybe someone will snatch you a hand will come out of nowhere to 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 get you on the free fall I love too that it it has this feeling of this um it's it feels like immediate risk taking which I also love as a part of m- the way that I I tend to write as well is I need to tell these stories because, or quickly, because someone might need to hear this. Like, I think what you mentioned before of not wanting to have people feel, feel alone. The other collaboration that I did with Stuart Owen Dance on a larger scale of a film that's 35 minutes, 35 seconds is called Dirty Laundry. And I have even more of that script written of other new stories as well. But it's about the unraveling of my divorce and my marriage and into this um, new reclamation of of identifying as queer. And it feels to me still just so immediate. Um, because when I was going through it, I didn't have any resource. I was just swimming in the soup by myself I was (laughs) every day I was like on the branch again like new branch and let's see how this lands um so I I personally enjoy when I hear stories and when I get to tell my stories that feel like I'm talking from the the wobbly branch that I'm actively cutting down I'm like this is important I think (laughs) um I say that to myself a lot too I think when I write I'm like I think this is important and all I can do is try to trust myself and and um, and trust the universe that it'll have the the ears ready for the people who need to hear it and who 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 desire a bit of that camaraderie with me.
0: Yeah, the dirty laundry is another piece that I highly recommend. And one of the things that was that I love so much about it is the visual vocabulary that you and your collaborators chose in the costumes. It really drew out that tension of um, you know, the contrast between like what how you adorned yourself versus the other cast members spoke of the that tension and the emergence. It was really beautifully done. Mm. I'm really, really curious about something you said earlier. You know, there there is this essential solitude that we take as creatives. There's a point in the creative process that it's just us and the, the sometimes terrifyingly <laughs> blank canvas of the universe ahead. <laughs> What is your experience of not getting it right? Is it frustrating? Is it terrifying? Is it angering or is it just quiet? Tell me about when you, <laughs> when you know that that phrase is not quite there. What's, what's, like? what's that for you? Oh, it's, it's, I'm, I am, um, so deeply new, um, back into like deep, Creative work. It's just the pandemic Mm. is what brought me back in. Mm. It's excruciating still. I have not gotten, I've not been able to to laugh at your. (laughs) I know it's true. I've I've not been able to find that right, like talk I got to give myself to settle down and understand. It's a trust thing, really. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, it's like it's both so excruciating when it's not right, but then when you feel the truth come through, it is like the most exquisite thing possible
1: i love that i just got to like ah feel that within you i was like yeah the release there's this uh, and we've talked i think briefly about my pilgrimages that i've walked on the The yeah Yeah. and um oh my gosh did that teach me talk about the sacred talk about just period talk about the sacred like boom um and then with that and those experiences of the pilgrimage I mean, with all of the time to think, again, period, with all the time to think how that can shape someone. And for for my experience, how that shapes how I approach my writing and how I live in those emotions, too. Mm. There's a beautiful like pilgrim phrase of solvitur ambulando. It is solved by walking. And I tell you, if I am like, I need to I need to. Go for a walk. Like I need to go. If I go for a walk, if I go for a hike, nine times out of ten, I've written something on my walk. I I started trying to carry a notebook. I was like, this is too cumbersome. I'd stop on the middle of a trail. I was like, "Ah, this is just too much. And so I started using my phone, of course, with like the notes app. Or sometimes, if the thoughts are coming too fast, I'll just record myself and kind of transcribe myself later or later in the week to see. You know, obviously, we have those moments of. Oh my gosh this is brilliant. And then you're like, "Oh my god, that was just no shit. That was just me talking. That was which is fine, that's fine." But those little nuggets of gold when you find them or you say them even if it's just a sentence or if it's just like just like a grouping of words, it's like, "Ah, oh, what can I do with that?" So for me, I think within the walking is where I get a chance to like feel into my body to feel into like, what do I even want to talk about? What do I even think I have the right to talk about? Or the story to tell that feels important to me. So my solo performance writing professor at Columbia College, Chicago, Stephanie Shaw, she would give us such great words of wisdom. She would, even She's like, one day she was like, sometimes the bravest thing you can do is wake up in the morning and brush your teeth. And I'm like, yes. So it's these little like bites of how I process my work that I don't feel that excruciating grind or rub when I'm not getting it right because what I notice, I do, it's like wine. I'm like, I gotta let it breathe. So I'll go for a walk and see what comes up. And when I have to like write a bio for myself or an artist statement, I'm like, I need like two hours for a walk and then it'll be written and I can come home. That's what I want to say. There you go. And the same with my stories. If I even have just the first workings of some stories, I'll make it a document and I'll forget about it. Somewhere it's within me that I want to write about whatever that is. And it'll come out when the time is right. So that's a big universal trust. There is a story I just recently wrote and got to perform for the first time in my fringe festival for uh, Dirty Laundry. Which I was so excited. I think that was the most excited I was to 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 like do the whole show. Is like to get to this, and then, but the piece is at the end, so I was like, oh. But like it was such a great punctuation of of the iteration of Dirty Laundry, the live performance that I wanted to do, and the title of it is called Love, and who I named it after, and it's a very detailed account of the day and the moment that I. Was getting a divorce um, in downtown Chicago, Cook County Circuit Courts, um, what the day was like, what was happening outside with the farmers market, all of the details and all of the all of the internal details as well as external of these two playing at the same time. And I didn't want to write that story. That took five years to get out. And the punctuation of the story is this beautiful like reclamation. Um, where I just get, (laughs) long story short, I just get divorced. I come down from this like air conditioned courtroom out to the Plaza, um, Daily Plaza. And there are all of these adult tap dancers in black sequins and bowler hats. And they start tapping to the song of the summer, which was um, Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake that I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And in my head, even at that moment, I was like, Oh, this is a story I'm gonna to have to write, and like it took me this whole time because I needed to have it breathe, so I appreciate the rub and the excruciating pain of working out our art, and I also have come to appreciate to let it to let it breathe and manifest.
0: sounds to me like you're making your life a pilgrimage and making your art making a pilgrimage mm-hmm. You know, it's mm. it's um, we talked about this the other day. I think I had just been 24 hours off of taking a pilot group to the south of France for a pilgrimage. And um <laughs> everybody should really do at least one pilgrimage in their life. You can't yes. rush a pilgrimage. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And as soon Ugh. as you say it's a pilgrimage, as soon as you make that commitment, you tap into this ancestral river this intelligence that knows what your ancestors, what people have walked before did, and you're in yes, it, yes, and yes. it has an arc of experience. It has the opening, the dismemberment, the leaving of the community to find your, you know, isolation and solitude, the hero's journey, finding the the treasure and the dangerous place and bringing it back,
1: yes, 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 yes,
0: that's really big.
1: It's very underrated as well of our own desire to take a journey so epic. I have a niece who really wanted to travel as she's thinking of college and things. Last I knew she wanted to take a year off, do the gap year, do try try a different place, location, adventure. And I see the hesitancy in my my sister and her husband. But I know the reward. I know that deep reward. I chose to give that to myself. I'm not very in this world with a lot of materials. I notice, but for me, travel has been the thing of like, oh, I don't need new clothes for a couple of years. I don't need, I don't need all the new whatevers. Um, but I do want to go to. Fill in the blank, and that led me to that pilgrimage in Santiago or toward Santiago, and had me come back again because of the the riches of those rewards internally that help navigate my life, and I really think then speak to this overall greater importance of how I love to connect with other artists and do other mediums and. Just recognize the, um, the fragility of this time that we have and the importance of it, the sacredness of it, and honor that and say to myself, then how do I contribute? How do I contribute and where do I contribute to? Where is my energy actually flowing? Where do I need it to flow, um, especially more within my community? Where where, and how and who do I need to help amplify? Um, I think that's something great that I've loved being a part of Asheville this time that I've been here is being able to say, oh, hey, I heard you needed someone for this. I think I have a couple people if they fit. And it's such a network of care here as other people try to really help amplify each other.
0: It's a very special place, Asheville, for sure people really do, Mm -hmm. um, work to each other's benefit a lot more than other places. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, one of the through lines that I've noticed in your work is that, is that it feels like there is always an intent to illuminate, to seek reconciliation, healing resolution. Um, how overtly does the theme of, of healing play in into your work when you're creating a new piece, is that a a strong and overt intention, or is it just part of the natural unfolding of things?
1: It's definitely not the intention. (laughs) I love Natalie Goldberg, and I was first introduced to Natalie Goldberg's way of writing through writing down the bones, which if you're new to writing or you need some extra pick-me-up of like, what do I even write about today? Like, just get that book and... open up a page. And I love it. She's like, write about the carrots that were packed for you when you were a child for lunch. I'm like, whoa. And like, all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, my gosh. And you're like, and then my father and my like, then it just opens up this whole portal. I don't go with the intention of the option of healing. But I do know that by sitting down to write what I have to say or a story that's just been kind of gnawing at me to be told even if it's just being told for myself or to myself and then sometimes I'm thinking of oh well this maybe this could be used for a performance in this capacity or paired with music or that kind of comes later usually Um, but at, at the moment I just know to tell the truth. And that's what leads me. If I can be the most honest with myself, hands down, it's going to resonate with someone else. This idea of like like taking that breath, this full transparency and just letting it be out there, reminding myself I'm human, reminding myself that I don't make myself look good. I don't write these stories to be like, and then I was the hero just so everybody knows, like, I'm always like, yo, I got this wrong. (laughs) And I totally acknowledge it. And so did this person in their own way, get it right and wrong. And that's just what the story was like any crown I might think I have on, which I normally don't think I have it on. I take it off to be like, yo, I messed that up, but here's what I got from it.
0: You know, some of my elders say that, that, um, what defines, the probability of su- us successfully navigating through this evolution potent and evolutionary time right now is do we have enough people holding up sacred mirrors to one another to get real and get through this um mm. are you hopeful yeah. that we've hit a threshold of truth tellers to get us through this yes ish <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm still within this mind warp of Instagram and social media that I'm really, it's a daily practice of like detachment and pulling myself away for all of the reasons that everybody knows, but mostly to be able to continue to claim my own mirror. Mm. I'm the one brushing my teeth at night. Like, did you tell the, did you tell the truth today? Like, um, I'm the one giving myself the, the talk, the talk back first so that when I do come into other spaces of these stories that I've written or these poems that resonate that I can with complete knowledge be like yes that was my truth and maybe I've shifted from then but but yes in that moment at that time and I notice that I look when I do look back at my Writings and the things that I have or the collaborations I've gotten to create, that that's what I'm actually really going for is like, how does this remain truthful for everyone involved, true to to them at least at that moment for those moments of recording or um, performance? Because that's also what makes me at the end of the day so proud to continue to do this work that I do alone at my kitchen table. <laughs> but I'm like, I think it's important. And the same thing, are like, or oh, I, th- I think this might be shit. Um, But at least to be bold in it to be like, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it with the most truth I can. And I think that's the way that we start to if I have that mirror to myself, um, that I can slowly start to like, you is it do you want to like, I, I get the the chance then to be more bold with others
0: and see where they're at. Yeah. And being bold and trusting is, is so important because we through that act, that courageous act, we give others permission to likewise be truthful. And there's gotta be some threshold, I think where soon we're going to start collectively having some really challenging collective conversations about things like AI and social media. Um, And there is a lot of unexplored opportunity and deep dialogue about matters like that. How many people in, in, you know, the public sphere are talking about the relationship between, for instance, biomimicry and the emergence of AI? And Mm. when you look at, when you look at these punctuated places of evolution that we're experiencing, yeah, some of it's pretty messed up and some of it's pretty terrifying. And at the same time, there are forces that are underneath the surface underneath the evolution of events that are actually part of biology's natural evolutionary imperative Right. oftentimes for interconnection you know it's like when, when we laid down the first communication grids the first electrical systems in, in you know modern society we were essentially laying down a nervous system for our meta-organism mm-hmm. those kind of conversations break down the oppositional us against them, the nuance, the truth, I think, the useful medicine of it is in the nuance and actually asking the question, taking the time on your pilgrimage Mm. to ask the question, how does this relate to what's happened before? And how can we gently, how can we find the lever and gently move things towards Joy, happiness, illumination, uh, yes. radical sufficiency.
1: Yes. Wow. Well said. Because that's the that's where I want to shift toward. I won't be able to sustain myself if I if I go to that darker scenario. If I go toward that cave. Yeah. I think also what I love what you said. Thank you. Thank you for that because it's something that helps me continue to just simply put my pen to the paper and even as like natalie goldberg as um i don't know if you know or some or people might know but she's also done so much extensive work with zen buddhism and sitting and meditating and so there was some article that i had read that like she had given this talk somewhere and they were like um how do you just sit down and write like how do you just go and you do it and i guess she held up like a some sort of um, paper and put her pen to it and she was like just like this just go just do it just be in your mind in the same capacity as how you would when you would sit for meditation Um, so if I can try to do that within the way that I create for myself and keep it almost in its own little container until maybe it does need to have the mirror shown to it and be let out and be like, is this what we're working with now? But I know at least I first need to be solid Mm. for myself within that simplicity of how I create in order then to see how I want to interact with this new universe of creation or not. Come on and sit down, down, down at the table. Come on and sit down, down, down at my table. There's enough honey to go around. The first chicken to be told and to sit down, down, down at the table. Come on and sit down. Is it something that I might use down the line as more, um, like when I think of like performance art and more fringy things of like how to utilize things to to um, you know make it a farce, make it a make it into something else? But if I first hold, I first need to hold true to that. Like just pen a page, tell your dang story, <laughs> make a truthful, make it as honest as you possibly can, because there's so many other elements mm. out there that will that will want to. Combat what I have to say, or or who I am, or who other people might think I am. With so many externals, if I just stay constant, (laughs) I just if I can just hold true, I'll be okay. But man, is it scary!
0: It can be, (laughs) you know. Gina, um, Natalie Goldberg's wisdom about showing up and just. Just doing it, just get mm-hmm. to the writing um, is, a, I think, a touch point for something I know is near and dear to both of us, and that is Peru. And uh, for me, the wisdom of the people of the mountains, you know, the, the thing that I think has been so important for me personally and for the mm-hmm. people that I've worked with and taken on pilgrimage down to Peru is the radical attention to the present moment, the radical focus on connection. As a matter of fact, you know, my elders and friends down there say that the moment that you recollect the past or the moment you dream about the future, you're creating this dense, gunky energy called hucha that coats you like mud on a windshield and keeps you from actually seeing the true nature of things. Oh, wow. I love that image. And these people are the healthiest, happiest people I've ever met in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, And those teachings, even though I resist them sometimes with <laughs> great ferocity, yeah. um, are so much an antidote to the pain of these times. Um, and ultimately, it's that radical presence that allows you to be courageous, that allows you to be generous. Mm. And you have Peruvian blood. You have blood that comes from, from this beautiful, ancient, wellspring and repository of of so much wisdom so much ancient Mm -hmm. integrated heritage tell me about tell me about your life as a peruvian american and (laughs) i know your father was also a a performer your mother and father were performers
1: yeah my father was a mariachi singer And he immigrated from Peru to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was also an accountant. I had definitely had romanticized him when I was younger and was like, he's just this. You know, like you see your parents, you're like, they're just that, I guess. And so to me, I was like, he's this, he's a rock star. But he also worked as an accountant for the city of Milwaukee. I I will be very honest with this in terms of how I was raised and and where I was raised. Um, my mom was born in Chicago, Swedish German background, but knew and spoke Spanish perfectly before meeting my dad. And so it just happened to be that they could speak Spanish. So I grew up in Milwaukee um, with my sister, my older sister, Marisa, uh, speaking Spanish was our first language. We would take trips to Peru as well when we were younger, from Milwaukee to to Peru, to Lima, where most of my family still lives today, that side of my family. But my my father ended up passing away when I was seven years old from prostate cancer and some other complications. He was 62. So to have it, have that connection to this country that I used to be very embedded within, and especially the language, too. It's been a challenge. It's been a challenge since that time. My mom remarried. I love my stepdad. He's incredible. Um, he does not speak Spanish. So I understand, looking back at it now, that it wasn't really, it didn't really seem feasible or maybe possible, I guess, at the time, to continue nourishing that part of me. To no fault of anyone, You know, um, so as I write, and I definitely tap into these moments and these memories and these histories that I've never really gotten to excavate. It's a challenge of where I am in this society of a very sacred, not stereotype, but like world. My aunts and uncles, they work in education, they work in their own insurance companies and think they're, they're very educated people. And, um and it's funny. I remember even when I was in like middle school and I would say, yeah, well, my dad was from Peru and immediately people would, they were like in the mountains, like, like that they were these people living this completely separate um more ancient life and I was like, uh no, they're in like the city, they like teach at the universities like they they, you know have shoes like I have shoes like you know, so it was such a such an interesting thing that I think still now I mean, my identity still is um, seeking for what that looks like.
0: I like your choice of terms to excavate <laughs> to, to excavate. And I do ask myself a lot, what if each of us, Driven by the possibility that this phrase is true. Mm. We are all immigrants in this country. What if each of us excavated that?
1: That's that mirror, right? That's, That's right back to that of can we truly see each other? I think there's just been this disconnect and divide that makes it so hard to to even have the desire to be like, do do I even want to see you? Do I even want to put myself in that vulnerable position to be able to really see who who I am hanging around or surrounding myself with? I think, I mean, a fantastic image I just got is like Facebook when people were like, oh, I've unfollowed 20 of these people that I've known for all these years because of all of these reasons. And it was a big like, boom, boom, mirror up what do we got like mirror up with like a flashlight like in the middle of the night like it was intense this
0: brutality yeah it's it's brutal
1: right and so you're right coming from a place that is way more compassionate and with a with a lot more heart and a lot more tenderness and a lot more understanding that we're all just hopefully trying our best and doing our best and working on ourselves to navigate where we see ourselves in this world and connected. I was very grateful to go and visit two of my cousins who actually, from Peru, they've actually then, they've lived in Paris now for over 10 years. We were out having dinner one night and I I lifted my glass that was empty and I somewhere in my head was like, oh, there's a French tradition of like, you should never toast with an empty glass or wherever it came from. I, I know it from a French tradition. I could be completely wrong. But I said, oh, no, it's bad. I'm going to have bad luck because the French say I can't toast with, with an empty glass. And we were all toasting. And I right on the heels of it, my one cousin, Mili, um, she was like, well, good thing we're not French. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. like Because I have that compassion and that eye for them of like, they're here. They're living in this country. But like, they are Peruanas, like they are, they are that connection to somewhere within me I've yet to get to. And I am so close to them. So I love the time to spend with them and connect to them in this more modern time Mm. and have them also fill me in on Peru when they go home and they do see more of the family. So it's such a that's actually, you know, segue into this next topic of the my next project that I'm working on is actually this homecoming of how it will feel for me to go back to Milwaukee. Like my dad came to Milwaukee. My poppy came in the uh, late 60s, I think. Didn't know anyone but one friend who was there studying. And then that friend went back with his studies to Peru. And um, my dad made the way for himself. I'm working on this excavation of of um, his music. He sang with a trio, Voces de Oro, that is even on his headstone. That meant so much to him to sing and to perform. He performed for people's weddings. He performed then sometimes with weddings, people were like... Can you perform at my funeral? He performed people's funerals and events and festivals and all over Milwaukee. Like he really just went for it. But it's this homecoming for me that I'm excited to continue to excavate, to get to know him even better at that time, claiming Milwaukee and for myself to reclaim it as my my hometown.
0: That's beautiful. These full circles that we sometimes encounter in life are so Ripe and potent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very much so. Well, I'm excited to see what you do next. <laughs> Thanks. And you. I wish you so many blessings for your trip back to the homeland and yeah. creating that full circle for yourself and your family. And it's been Thank really you. such a pleasure having you on our podcast and having this opportunity to Touching deeply on these really uh, juicy subjects with you. Thank you so much, Gina.
1: Thank you so much, too, Jeff. I appreciate you. This was awesome. It was awesome. Thank Thank you. you.
0: The St. Disruption Podcast. Recorded and mixed by Hamilton Media Design at Sidehouse Records. You can also find more creative collaborations on all our major streaming platforms. Visit our YouTube channel for more creative content and video episodes of our podcast. Osiris.